The Athletic. Hello, thanks so much for tuning in this week to the Zonal Marking Podcast, which is brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell, and with me today, as ever, Tom Warville and Michael Cox, data guru and tactics guru, respectively, for The Athletic. Before we get into this week's topic, and it is a topical episode, I will say, Michael, you've been writing this week on The Athletic site about short corners. And that's so exciting to me that I don't want it to get lost in the wave of Chelsea-related content. Talk me through that piece, which I know you've been working on for a few weeks now. Yeah, one of those pieces that I decided to write and then it keeps on being news and more relevant stuff than short corners to uh, write. So it always gets moved back. But yeah, it was. Um, I found it really enjoyable, actually. Just went back and looked at a load of successful short corners from the last two or three years in the Premier League and worked out why they why they worked you know sometimes it's about what's happening around the corner taker sometimes it's that you're shifting men from inside the box to outside the box there's a couple of little nuances I think often space gets left at the far post when everyone shifts over to close down the the short corner so uh yeah it's one of those things that football fans seem to find really annoying short corners so I thought I'd try and detail the fact that it, it can go right sometimes my favourite detail from this piece was one of the corners you looked at involved last season for Manchester City, David Silva scoring a header from a corner that he took himself, which might sound yeah. like I've made a mistake in that sentence, but go and read the piece and you'll see uh, what I'm talking about. Uh, Tom, this week we're talking about Thomas Tuchel. What was your reaction to the sacking of Frank Lampard, of course, just three weeks ago on this very pod? Uh, we tried to break down some of the issues uh, surrounding him and the club. Yeah, it feels like it's one that's been a long time coming, really. And even the the performance of Luton at the weekend, obviously Chelsea were fairly comfortable in the end, but the the mood around that game, the kind of coverage, it just felt like something was a uh, miss, really. And yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm excited to dig into their new manager and intrigued about where it's going to take them for the rest of the season because again it's a very very close table at the moment and anything can really happen over the next 19 games mm, and it's obviously been a big deal on the athletic site you've got Liam uh, Toomey and Simon Johnson covering it from a Chelsea perspective we've seen Rafa Honigstein both with a brilliant article about Thomas Tuchel more about his career and, and personality I would say and talking on the Ornstein and Chapman show as well that the, the podcast this week Michael Tom and yourself you were tasked with delving into what we like to talk about tactics analytics and taking a look at Tuchel's career in that sense yeah that article's up today and uh, some lovely graphs from Tom on that that you obviously won't be able to uh, listen to in audio form but you can very much look at in visual form and uh, yeah that's what we're talking about today I, I think the uh, the obvious topic for this week What's he all about? What's he, what he's going to do at Chelsea? And there's been a lot of focus, I think, on him as a person, you know, his personality, his fallouts with, you know, various people involved in other clubs' uh, hierarchies at, uh, at Dortmund and PSG. But he's a really interesting coach tactically. I mean, I don't think there's much doubt about his tactical intelligence. So uh, I think it's very much worth looking at that as well. Brilliant. Well, that piece is up on site at the moment. If you're not a subscriber of The Athletic, then you can become one today. Head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking and you can sign up for just £3.99 a month. But it's Thomas Tuchel that we are focusing on, specifically from a football perspective. Uh, Michael, this is his fourth senior job. 
I think it's uh, we're not counting Augsburg's second team here, although by all accounts he did a marvellous job there. Um, Mainz, Borussia Dortmund and Paris Saint-Germain, uh, as your first three jobs in football go, all fairly different really. Does that mean when you sit down to write about his career, it makes him quite hard to nail down, quite hard to categorise? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, certainly when I first became aware of him at Mainz was really people were talking about him in terms of being strong on pressing. You know, Mainz were maybe not the most technically gifted side. They didn't really have a great amount of guile in midfield, but they were very, very hardworking. They shut down from the front. They had some really energetic players and he made that work. But then when he moved on to Dortmund and, and certainly PSG, obviously he could depend on better players. And I think there was more focus on the technical players in midfield, in the attacking midfield zone, in terms of how he was using them. He's, he's managed a couple of really good strikers as well in Aubameyang and uh, Mbappe and Neymar as well. But I think the first two, he's got the best from. So yeah, it's. Um, I don't think it's a simple, oh, he's like this manager, he's like that manager. He is his own guy. I think he tries to, to fuse a couple of different styles. And uh, yeah, it makes him interesting, but also makes him a little bit difficult to write about, I mm. would say. The one thing he did seem sure about and, and wrote in the piece he, he feels like an archetypal modern coach what do you mean by that i guess i mean that he's i mean he's uh he's a technocrat if you like he's someone who likes detail he likes stats he's worked his way up from the bottom he's he's a kind of big thinker he's always getting ideas from other sports from outside football he's i'd say very different from lampard in that respect who i think is very football isn't he I think uh, Tuchel is a little bit different, maybe, uh, you know, a more academic coach, I would say, in that respect. But also in terms of his style, it, it's just like he's kind of, he's trying to fuse everything almost. He, he he likes possession, he likes pressing, he likes tactical variety. It's almost like he's he's ticking every box. I think he's very different from someone like Conte, for example, who's a very specific type of old school Italian coach. He's got that system, he's got those kind of training drills. Tuchel seems a bit more considered, a bit more open to new ideas. Um, and I think he's a very interesting guy in general. As someone who who watches football and writes about it with a, with a, a tactical lens, it, it feels like at times one of the knocks on Lampard was that it wasn't always obvious to see what his game plan was, what his tactical game plan was, either if you zoomed out or even on a match-to-match -match basis. You, you would have watched a lot of Thomas Tuchel sides now in researching for this piece. Uh, it feels like Tuchel is pigeonholed as much more of a tactician, perhaps, than Lampard. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think there were some accusations in, in the various pieces that the Athletic have, have run this week that Lampard wasn't always very clear with his tactical instructions to players. Tuchel, I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think, if anything, some players may get frustrated at quite how much, how many instructions there are. But yeah, he is. I mean, that's his strength. I think he is, first and foremost, a tactician. I think there are more questions about how he copes with individuals and that can be people in you know upstairs at a club or it can be the players but I think in terms of being a tactician he's generally very good. You made the point that he's definitely his own man and of course that's the case with, with basically any manager but there are always the unavoidable reference points that are Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp when talking about any modern manager basically um, because of their own profile, their impact and success, not just in the Premier League, but in, in other major footballing nations over the last decade and both big influences on Thomas Tuchel as well. In which ways would you say his style of play has the hallmarks of these two? It's an interesting one. I mean, he succeeded Klopp at both Mainz and Dortmund which on one hand means, you know, there was some kind of 
development, you can see that he used the same players, he used broadly the same style in some ways. But also it's very easy to see the contrast. It's easy to see what he came in and did differently. And certainly at Dortmund, I mean, I must say I didn't see it. Mine's under Klopp, so I can't really compare that. But certainly at Dortmund, there was, after Tuchel came in, there was more focus on possession play, on more strict positional responsibilities with the ball. Um, I think they're probably a more positive side. They weren't necessarily a more successful side. So yeah, he I mean he he credits Guardiola with with really giving him lots of ideas. He he loved his Barcelona side. Of course Guardiola came to Germany when when Tuchel was managing and they had uh, a couple of interesting meetings. I mean he's never actually beaten Guardiola as a manager. Um so yeah I I, I think he's somewhere in between the two, isn't he? And that's what we uh, tried to say in the piece. Yeah I think like the way we approach this article, I think Coxie kind of hit the nail on the head that he is a balance between Guardiola and Klopp. And there are some elements like, I think, his use of the ball from build-up. We can see that it's definitely more similar to Pep in his recent times at PSG than, than potentially Klopp has been at, at Liverpool. And in terms of kind of pressing, the numbers are actually maybe slightly lower than you'd expect given all the kind of hype around Tuchel being a an aggressive presser. But yeah, it's just, it's a really nice blend that he's not kind of completely within the school of one or the other but he's taken kind of some elements of of each and made his um his own mark on the game which i think is is really interesting and to me Tuchel has always been kind of the third big tactical manager alongside Klopp and, and Pep and it's exciting to see him now at Chelsea and in the Premier League he's been described in the piece as a tactical chameleon tom uh, some managers we think of as being very wedded to uh, formations, basic structures, even if the specifics may differ and, and be fluid within that. I'm thinking of Conte and, and a 3-5-2, Pep, I suppose, and 4-3-3, Sean Dyche, 4-4-2, Tony Pulis, 6-4-0. You know, managers do get uh, pigeonholed in a sense uh, sometimes, but can we say that about Tuchel based on what we can see in his career so far? Yeah, I mean, I kind of outlined that with with managers there is kind of this dogmatism sometimes of sticking to a formation and other times there's just a, a extreme pragmatism that every game is is a puzzle that they're trying to solve and their way to do it is how do I use the players at my disposal to to kind of win the match essentially and I think Tuchel's very much towards the the pragmatist end of the scale um and yeah I mean there's some numbers in the piece around the number of formations he's used yeah essentially showing that just like he he's a shapeshifter he moves things around so much and that you will have a hard time kind of predicting his team sheet at times and I think for Chelsea with with Lampard like Lampard struggled to get the most out of this new group of players um, and I think part of that is because he's not like had enough reps as it were enough opportunities to like think through all these different situations at which to use the players within whereas for Tuchel he's he's been doing that on a week-to-week basis for most of his career so I, I do imagine that you know Chelsea invested a quarter of a billion pounds in the transfer window on new players he will be able to to kind of get the best out of most of them and maybe we don't see a consistent form of Tuchel's Chelsea but we should hopefully see a, um, a one that you know performs well and uh, improves their t- position at the table. I think he'll he'll be keeping Coxie on his toes, certainly, when he's breaking down Chelsea games. There's a great quote from Rafa Honigstein's piece on the site saying that by the end of his Mainz tenure in the summer of 2014, his perfectly drilled Mainz side could switch formations six times per game to give even Pep Guardiola's untouchable Bayern a run for their money. So I like the sound of that. Michael's shaking his head. Um, Tom, I mean, in his most recent job with with Paris Saint-Germain, 4-3-3 was the most regular shape if you will but even within that 
you found lots of tweaking when it came to personnel and, and roles, as we've spoken about in the last few weeks. Yeah, I really wanted to to dig into like, you know, not all four three threes are the same in terms of personnel and just try and understand like who were the main players that he used. And I just remember getting to one bit in the article and thinking, you know, oh, you know, four three three was was characterized by having these players in midfield. And I mean, look digging into the numbers. Tuchel used 21 different central midfield trios in 26 games, which I think is a, a baffling number. And it's, you know, Liverpool looked to rotate at times, City looked to rotate at times, but not to the extent of, of that. And you regularly saw, like, Danny Alves would move into midfield, Marquinhos, who predominantly is a centre-back, would move into midfield. You'd sometimes have Di Maria maybe start on the right and drop into into midfield and as one of those more kind of free eights. So, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued because, again, for... Going back to Chelsea, you know, you've got Billy Gilmore, you've got Jorginho, you've got Kovacic, you've got Kante. And a lot's been written about, like, how do you get the value out of each of them if you have a consistent system? Whereas if you're changing it up a lot, you can kind of sprinkle in these players here and there and, and you know, offer them all plenty of minutes through rotation mm. uh, and kind of rely on their strengths depending on who the opposition is. Feels like one of his first objectives or his first problems to solve, Michael, from, from the pod we did about Chelsea's issues three weeks ago is midfield balance itself. Uh, and of course, 4-3-3 has been the formation that Lampard has gone for for the majority of the season. Yeah, I still think 4-3-3 does probably make most sense for this Chelsea side. I mean, I was chatting with Tom when we were talking about Lampard's time in general. I'm, I'm just not convinced this collection of plays really goes together at Chelsea. I think there's probably one too many attackers. I'm not convinced that Werner, Pulisic, Havertz and Ziyech are all going to play together, possibly in a 4-2-3-1, but I'm not sure about the balance there. I think a 4-3-3 makes more sense. I think it makes more sense in midfield um, with, with the players that they've got, particularly Jorginho, I think is is just suited to to playing deep in a 4-3-3. I know there's been a lot of debate under the last two managers about where he plays. I think that will be his role again. Um, but yeah, I think what we'll see is the the wide players coming inside a lot. I mean, I think it'll be Ziyech and, and Pulisic. I think that they uh, will end up almost forming a front five uh, with the fullbacks overlapping. And I think the players in those inside forward roles will be really crucial for Chelsea. I think Jorginho is an interesting name because, again, like there's him, there's there's Marcus Alonso who's fallen off this year, there's Kepper as well who's not really played that much. And you can see with, with Tuchel that each of those maybe represent a player that he's used in the past to, to relative success that you could see him bring back into the fold at Chelsea. Um, I mean, Kepa's a name that I floated to Michael because Roman Berkey at Dortmund was heavily involved in build-up. And I was looking at numbers on FB Ref and it was more than kind of more than Kepa at Chelsea uh, and more than Keylor Navas at PSG. So, you know, you can see a world in which, you know, obviously he's not the most confident shot stuffer at the moment, but is the, the marginal gain in terms of him being better in his feet than Mendy something that Tuchel could, could tweak or use at some point? Um, and yeah, I wonder if that extends to Alonso, to Rudiger and Christensen, who've seen time out of the team this year. It's uh, It feels like a bit of a blank slate, really, for, for mm. Chelsea. Well, Lampard was trying all sorts of different personnel. And of course, when things aren't going well, chopping and changing like that is very easily spun into a negative. You know, with Lampard, it was he doesn't know his best first eleven. But Dom, you've looked at, at the amount that Tuchel has rotated in all of his jobs, basically. And it, it feels like this rotational policy will be in place at Chelsea. And... You can't level that at a manager who's only just started. So for a manager like him, it's about freshness. It's about rotation. You can spin it into a positive as well, right? Yeah, definitely. I also, you know, given the the, the context of the season being in the pandemic, I wonder if there's a, you know, means of spinning that as a way of kind of saving legs. Like if you're thinking that Tuchel is going to install a, a much better 
a much more aggressive pressing system that requires more sprinting, more high-intensity running. The the schedule is so packed, it only makes sense that you need to rotate. But yeah, I was looking at the numbers across across Dortmund and PSG, and Dortmund had a bit more of a solid core. I think it was his, his 2015-16 season there, its first one, um, where you have got Berkey's there, Mkhitaryan, and Hummels, and Aubameyang are all kind of the key players who got 80% or more of the minutes. And fast forward to time at PSG, and there was only one player, which was Angel Di Maria in 2019-20, who played more than 80% of minutes available. Tuchel regularly used over 30 players. He's used 30 players this season, and we're barely halfway past through the season. So he's someone who likes a large squad, someone who doesn't rely on a core, potentially similar there to, to Guardiola and not Klopp. So yeah, I'm definitely intrigued to, to see kind of, I don't know, partly the media reaction to all this rotation. And, you know, will there be a narrative if they don't get on a strong run of fixtures that, that Tuchel, you know, needs to find his best team and all this kind of stuff. But also, yeah, will he bring more of the youngsters into the fold? Will we get more minutes from Callum Hudson-Odoi, from Billy Gilmore? Yeah, a lot a lot to, to look forward to this. I mean, that's a that's a big concern of a lot of the fan base who, who credit Lampard with giving the opportunity to a, a really talented group of young players it's something he gets a lot of credit for so the concern will be that they will now be moved out onto the margins and, and Tuchel might focus on the stars and, and those who have cost a lot of money um, but he has used a lot of young players in the past and, and not always young players with big, big reputations either yeah I mean the one that I think too straight away is Usman Dembele who I mean it was an absolute snip of a deal I think it was 15 million pounds from Ren, and he went on to have an amazing first season I think he got 11 assists which was up there with the kind of most in, in Bundesliga in 16-17 uh, I think that was he was really keen to use Julian Weigel at the base of his midfield and rely on him there. Um, someone who at the time was, I think, 22, 23 years old. Emre Moore got his some starts uh, for Dortmund in the Bundesliga as well, and he was only 18, 19 at the time. And not all these players have gone on to have you know spectacular careers in recent years, but he's still given youngsters a chance, which, for, again, the current makeup of the Chelsea squad is a, a perfect fit, really. Good time for a quiz question, actually, because I wanted to know on this topic... If you guys could tell me, I'll ask you, Michael, first, because I reckon you're going to get this quickly. Which World Cup winner has Thomas Tuchel managed at youth level and twice at senior level? Uh, is it Andre Scherler? It is Andre Scherler. Sorry, Tom, not even a chance to respond. Got straight in there and no surprise whatsoever. A man for whom quizzing is a way of life, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, Andre Scherler. Um, I was a little confused on Transfer Marked when it said that Tuchel had managed him three times. So I dug a little deeper and it was Mainz youth team, Mainz first team, and then of course with Dortmund as well. And Eric Chupamoting and him are good mates as well, having managed him at Mainz and then last season, bizarrely, quite randomly, but actually quite successfully uh, at PSG as well. The reason that we've paused for a quick quiz, listener, is that uh, we've got something really exciting to tell you about, which The Athletic is, is going to be rolling out across February and the start of March. And it's quizzes. It's football quizzes. And it's with the help of our friends at Prostate Cancer UK. The Athletic are going to put on 31 football quizzes across February and March to find out who our most knowledgeable subscriber is and, of course, to raise money as well for a very important cause. Prostate Cancer UK help fund life-saving research and provide valuable support and encouragement for men and their partners affected or worried about prostate cancer. So we'll be encouraging you to donate money for a great cause. We'll be running a quiz on every team the Athletic cover, plus one each for the Bundesliga, for Serie A 
and La Liga. The winners of each quiz will go through to a grand final at the end of March where there'll be £1,000 up for grabs for the winner and we'll match this as well with a donation to Prostate Cancer UK. The quizzes will be hosted, sadly not by any of us, but by the correspondent for that club or league and you'll be able to team up with anyone in your household to play. Just that very sentence, by the way, to find out who our most knowledgeable subscriber is. If that subscriber doesn't listen to this podcast, I'll be very disappointed. So putting a little bit of pressure on you listening to this to, to win us this, essentially, for the Zonal Marking Podcast. If you're not a subscriber but you'd like to take part in this, then do sign up to a free 30-day trial to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash PCUK and there you can register to play the quiz. Please do get involved. I cannot wait for this. And well done, Michael, for getting that question right. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Back to Tuchel and tactics. Michael, I'm excited about the fact that it feels like one thing we can expect is to be surprised, is to expect the unexpected at times tactically from him. Is one thing that we can rely on that this Chelsea side under Tuchel will look to control possession of the ball? Yeah, probably. I think the players who have often prospered under him have been deep playmakers. Julian Weigel at Dortmund, I thought looked really, really good until sadly he, he broke his ankle and I'm not sure his career has really recovered. He's now at Benfica. When, with all due respect to Benfica, massive club, you know, by this stage, I think he, he could be one of the best players around in one of the biggest leagues. Verratti as well, I thought came on a lot under him at, at PSG, a player who I thought had stagnated a bit since he moved to France. But yeah, again, under Tuchel, I think he he improved. But um, also mentioned, worth mentioning that Dortmund, he converted a couple of maybe unfamiliar players into good, really good controlling central midfielders. Guerrero, who was previously a left back, uh, when he was in Ligue 1 and played for Portugal, became on occasion a really good central midfielder. And also Gonzalo Castro, who I really liked when he was at Leverkusen because he was he could play anyway. He was a kind of James Milner type. You could put him in any position, he'd do really well. But when he went to Dortmund, he, he was generally used as a central midfielder and, and a different type of central midfielder, one who wasn't just about energy, one who could put his foot on the ball and dictate play a little bit. So, yeah, I think, I think he wants to... Uh, he wants to control the game through possession first and foremost. And I think that has become maybe more of his defining, uh, the defining part of his approach more than pressing. We did that podcast on midfield roles uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Michael. And, and actually, when thinking about Tuchel, I thought back to the end of last season when we were talking about the Champions League on this podcast. You made a, a very strong point about his use of, of one midfielder in particular in Paredes uh, last season. So he can get kind of funky with with where he likes to position his his deep-lying playmaker, if you will. Yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah, Paredes, um, I thought, was really useful in a couple of those Champions League games. Um, maybe him and Verratti weren't always... You know, they played a similar role, so there was a bit of a debate between them um, going into the latter stages. But yeah, both of them, I think he did quite a good... Quite a good job with, and uh, yeah, this will be the latest instalment of the Jorginho versus Kante debate, I suspect. Um, <laughs> but I think he'll like Jorginho more. And in terms of, of moving players from 
not central midfield into the central midfield. I do wonder if he's aware of the five or ten game spell that Rhys James had playing in the heart of Wigan Athletics central midfield when he had that very successful loan there in, in 18-19. The point basically towards the end of the season where Paul Kirk, the Wigan manager, realised that this kid, even though it was his first senior season, was so much better than everyone else that he'd be more effective in the centre of the park than at, at fullback. Probably not, though, because, boy, is he a talented fullback. And, and Michael, could be quite good news, this appointment for Chilwell, for Rhys James. Another thing that you've noticed is a bit of a theme, flying fullbacks, real onus on, on attacking output from them. Yeah, definitely, particularly PSG. I think he did a good job with Burnout on the left. Mounier on the right, probably a bit inconsistent. But, yeah, there was a strong focus on them. I'd say not just overlapping, but actually making quite direct positive runs in behind the opposition, often getting almost through balls or lofted passes over the defence towards the fullbacks. They are a real attacking threat, or at least they were at PSG. And I think it's probably the thing, you know, the aspect of Chelsea side that has gone the best this season, really. I think I think James has been solid. Sometimes some defensive lapses. I think he needs to improve in that aspect. I think back to the FA Cup final when really it was that right-back position or right-wing-back position that Arsenal targeted with the Bamiyang. But Chilwell's been a really good signing. I mean, I think there was... Opinion was probably divided on him, you know, in terms of whether he was worth it and moving from Leicester. But I think he's been really good for Chelsea, uh, primarily going forward. I think he times his runs very well. So, yeah, I think those two will... They should be Chelsea's full-back pairing for the next few years, really, shouldn't they? And, and that will be one thing from the Lampard reign that I think would be a, a bit of a legacy for him, maybe along with Mason Mount as well, maybe... Abraham, have to see how that goes. But yeah, I think the fullbacks are in place for a, a few years to come. One of your big knocks on Lampard when we were going through issues a couple of weeks ago was a lack of clarity when it came to pressing uh, and especially the, the midfield players and, and how it wasn't, it didn't seem like joined up thinking when it came to pressing. Uh, what's Tuchel's history, if you will, with pressing? Yeah, you're right about Lampard and Chelsea. And um, in a previous piece Tom did, he, he made the very good point that, you know, statistically Chelsea's pressing had actually fallen off this season compared to last season more than any other team in the league. So that really was an issue. With Tuchel, again, I go back to Mines really. I think that was his pressiest side, if I can put it that way. I'd almost, I'd almost compare him a little bit to Pochettino in the sense that Pochettino at Southampton was all about the pressing came to Tottenham and everyone said he's all about the pressing, but actually we started to see more possession play. Um, and now he's gone on to PSG and you suspect it will you know, primarily be about possession play and getting the best out of the attackers. And Tuchel's had the similar journey and of course also ended up at PSG. Um, I think Chelsea will look to press, but I think at the moment it's really difficult to press intensely because the, the players are so knackered at the moment for every club. Chelsea have got a lot of games, obviously. They've had a lot of games already this season. They're into the Champions League. They're still in the FA Cup. I think it's going to be difficult for him to suddenly transform Chelsea into a really, really ultra-high pressing side. But I think what he needs to focus on and what he will focus on is just doing it, doing everything a bit more integrated, a bit more cohesively. Whether or not you press really high, I think is less important than keeping your, your cohesion, your compactness as a unit and I think at times that's what Chelsea didn't do particularly that last game or the last league game against Leicester when Lampard really went all out and played a very attacking side I mean sometimes the gap between midfield and defence was it's just acres of space between it and I don't think Tuchel will stand for that Tom one of the big conversations following Frank Lampard's sacking and Tuchel's appointment is to what extent this is linked to the summer signings of Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and their underperformance in their first half season with Chelsea to try and get an idea of 
how Tuchel will look to get the best out of Werner and Havertz in a way that, that Frank Lampard struggled to do so. You've looked at former strikers of Bamiang and Mbappe to get an indication from a Werner perspective of what this might mean for him. Yeah, so, I mean, both of those strikers had the best seasons of their careers under Tuchel in terms of just number of goals scored. Uh, Bamiang scored 31 in... Uh, I think it was 16-17 now, and that was a Bundesliga record until Robert Lewandowski broke that in 2019-20. And then Mbappe scored 33 in 2018-19. So both were able to get a ton of goals and not really boosted by by penalties either. And yeah, I dug into kind of the shot maps, which you can see in the piece and and kind of where they were getting their shots. And I mean, I watched kind of all of Aubameyang's 31 and it is a great compilation of just being in the right place at the right time. And for me, really harks back to kind of Michael's piece with Gary Lineker not too long ago now, where he was just talking about the art of goal scoring. And where, you know, for a week or two, we all imagined ourselves as top goal scorers in Sunday League as soon as we can get back to the pitches again. But yeah, very much like a lot of the goals that they could both pick up was just timing runs into the right space at the right time, gambling that the ball will turn up there. And Aubameyang was tapping into an empty net probably in eight, nine, ten of his goals in that season. So I really think that. Werner, profile-wise, I don't think he's got the pace over as long a distance, but I do think that... Well, actually, tell a lie, to be fair. I mean, I remember when we did the piece with... um, One of the first pieces that Cox and I did about Werner in Leipzig, Werner was getting caught upside the most. And I think Newly Nagelsmann was saying it was because um, he'd have to start like a few metres deeper to actually get fully up to speed. So he's got pace, maybe needs a a bit of a longer distance actually to to get up to it. and I think that maybe we'll see more of those shots at the end of carries and him on the counter and him, you know, trying to get the ball forward more, but also being more productive in the box and getting more shots in dangerous positions in the box. Um, he's had four shots inside the six-yard box this season, scored one, missed a gilt edge one off the, the essentially on the line against Leeds as well, which I remember quite clearly. It's very easy to say like, oh, you know, to get more out of Werner, he just needs to take more shots in the box. Like it's obvious advice, but if if Tuchel's been able to do that with with Aubameyang and Mbappe for the best seasons of their career, there's no no reason why he can't do that with Werner as well. Is that Werner chance against Leeds the highest XG chance of the season in the Premier League so far? I haven't checked. I think in uh, in Opta's model it was like 0.87, which again feels potentially a little bit low. Um, but yeah, I imagine it's it's definitely up there. I mean, it's, it's more than a penalty, which is uh, obviously going to be a good chance. Yeah, it was an excellent clearance, that's for sure. Um, I just wanted to to pick pick you up on something you said there, which which I think should be encouraging f- for Chelsea fans. Of course, the work has to be done and it has to be implemented. But when you talk about the type of goals that his strikers have scored, it's almost like they could have done it with their eyes closed and they're just tapping them in from a few yards out. I mean, it, it makes you think of Pep Guardiola, doesn't it? And his side's at his best. And, and I guess there's an extent to which those goals come about from excellent patterns of play and excellent coaching and uh, an attacking unit who know what each other are going to do and, and have yeah have set ways of creating chances and scoring goals. And, and I think there's an extent to which that hasn't necessarily been the case at Chelsea this season. There have been some great moments, as Michael has said, and, and down the sides as, especially, they've looked very dangerous at times. But those sorts of goals where, where as you say, they, they look routine, uh, they look like they've been worked on and and, and executed with, with the players' eyes closed. That's what it would be great to see more of um, from Chelsea under Tuchel. Uh, we wondered three weeks ago where Havertz fits in a 4-3-3 in the Premier League and we weren't 100% sure. I mean, looking at Tuchel's career, have you got any hints as to where he may 
try him. Yeah, it's one that kind of Michael and I chatted on and, and it feels like potentially the most stylistically similar player that we've seen in the Tuchel system is Henrik Mkhitaryan, who I guess would float in the spaces out wide, but also did a lot of his work in, in central areas and had a really good 11 goal and 15 assist season um, before he moved to Man United in 2015-16. So um, I imagine that's you know, maybe the player that he's moulding him on or more of a kind of Marco Royce style figure. But I do think that he'll be playing further forward than he has up to this point. Again, it's like, how does he how does he manage the legs of these players? But I'm excited to see if him and Mason Mount are kind of paired more in midfield because they're both extremely aggressive pressers. It's a, a stat from a piece that I haven't been able to finish yet because like Michael things get pushed back in favour of uh, of things which are you know newsworthy at the time but I've got a piece in the works at the moment on kind of running stats and looking at high intensity running and, and things like that and Mason Mount's really high up there as is Kai Havertz so they have the legs they have the tools to to do that in midfield so um, yeah I think if it's a 4-3-3 you're going to see Havertz as one of those roaming um, midfielders either side of the probably a single pivot in midfield. That's going to be a really interesting piece to read. It's going to dispel a few sort of biases, I think, that we all have based on players running styles. Like you're saying that Havertz has a, you know, comes out really well in terms of high intensity running numbers. He's one of those guys that looks like he's gliding, doesn't necessarily always look like he's putting a lot of effort into his into his sprinting. So that'll be a really interesting read. Michael, there was a lot made of reports that Chelsea were after a German-speaking manager. The The assumption was made that that was for the benefit of Havertz and Werner, that they could all speak German together and get on very well. The fact is they all speak very good English. So I think that might have been something of a smokescreen. What's maybe more pertinent is that there are reports that Chelsea sounded out Ralph Rangnick and Julian Nagelsmann before settling, if you will, on Thomas Tuchel. So it feels like, at the very least, it, there, there was a targeted approach to going down a German route or to try and follow a German model of sorts. Can you understand why the powers that be at Chelsea might be looking to go down that route? Kind of. I mean, I think you have to judge individuals, don't you? I mean, certainly Tuchel's a very good coach. Nagelsmann, I think, is a really exciting coach and kind of similar. Uh, Rangnick is, I would say, a slightly different category. So I was slightly surprised they were in discussions with him. I gather some of the discussions were about not not necessarily it being long-term, not necessarily being a manager's role. Maybe he was going to move upstairs and do a job. So I find that all slightly strange. But, you know, it is it is two German players that I think the new manager is charged with getting the best from. Uh, we haven't seen the best from Werner, personally. I don't think there's huge issues there. I think he's... He's hit the woodwork five times or six times, I think, so far in the Premier League. So he hasn't been far off, um, and I'm sure the goals will come. Havertz, to me, more of a mystery. So, yeah, I kind of see why they might want someone who can relate to those players and get the best from them. But uh, I'm not sure there's that much logic behind going after three quite different German managers. Mm, And even extrapolated, Tom, over the last, what, decade or more now, swinging quite wildly between management styles and, and characters every 18 months of course has has led to a fair amount of success for Chelsea but it does make it hard I think to bear the fruit of any desired philosophy yeah definitely and I, I think back to kind of our, our podcast a few weeks ago where we were talking about how to avoid relegation and obviously Chelsea aren't trying to do that but like if you want to achieve in the long run and, and kind of build year on year you you know you want everyone singing from the same hymn sheet uh, I feel like I'm saying that every single podcast at this rate but it's 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 true and it's the reason that teams like Man City and, and Liverpool are having you know such strong and uh, 
long periods. And I guess Man U and, and Arsenal, uh, teams of yesteryear, when they were just challenging year on year because everyone was kind of aligned and there was a solid vision of what this team is and where it was going. And for Chelsea, they have, like you say, kind of swings or odd seasons where we're going to go in the direction of sorry, okay, that's going to change. And they're going to handsomely back Lampard in the market, even though seemingly now a lot of those signings were were in spite of Lampard and kind of not not for him, or at least they weren't the, his preferred targets. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting one. I think that I mean Tuchel's contracts. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's an 18 month contract with an option for another year, which is a bit of a, a get out of jail free card for Chelsea. That if it's not going well, they can cut their losses and it's not expensive. If it is going well, that option's on the table. And realistically, if he's managed PSG, where else is he? You know, what other clubs are going to try and prize him away? So I don't know. Is, is this a turning point for Chelsea where they're trying to be a bit more strategic? Um, I kind of have no idea. You'd, you'd hope so, but they probably said that when they when they signed Lampard, when they signed Sorry, when they signed Conte. Proof will be in the pudding. Ultimately, uh, Michael, I know you play it cool, but I also know that you do still have a real passion for uh, tactics, football tactics. And uh, I, I reckon you're quite excited about the addition of, of Tuchel uh, into the Premier League. I know that Tom is. Tom called him one of the sort of three preeminent tacticians of, uh, of the modern era. So he's got his first two games at home to Wolves and Burnley coming up. What do you expect to see, or what do you hope to see early on? Uh, what do you think he can implement early on? Well, I mean, I think this maybe isn't a direct answer to your question, Ali, so I apologise for that, but it's going to be really difficult for any manager coming in mid-season this season to change things because there's so many matches and they get such little time on the training ground. And I must say, I don't quite know the situation about his, his quarantine. There's been conf- conflicting reports about quite how long he's going to get to spend with the team. So I think we can probably expect quite incremental developments. I'm not sure we're going to see a massively radically different style of play from the opening weeks. Um, and yeah, I do think that, I mean, you look at the other you know, real top managers around, Guardiola, Klopp, Conte, for example. I think I'm right in saying none of them have ever taken over a, a side mid-season. It's really tough to do that and, and transform them immediately. And like I say, this season more than ever. So look, I think it makes makes sense to get him in when you can. But for me, I think for, for Chelsea, it's going to be looking to next season is really when we're going to see the the first sign of a, of a proper Tuchel team and, and see what he can do. I think that's a great point. And it's definitely one that we've seen with, with Mourinho and Ancelotti when they joined mid-season that their teams this year are totally different from the ones last season. Um, obviously, both have dipped into the market, but also that is part of what makes them successful over the longer term is because they have the players that they want at their disposal. I also wanted to jump back to the, the point around not having much time on the, the training pitch because for Tuchel, you read, the more you read about him and kind of, of training, how methodical he is. I mean, it's been said that his training sessions are tougher than games because then it makes the games easy and it means the players can actually work out and, and you know perform better in the games. How is he going to do that or implement that if they don't get much time on the training field? Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a really interesting point that you know, potentially we don't see, you know, a proper Tuchel side until until next season. And Michael, hard not to be excited about the prospect in about four weeks' time of Chelsea under Tuchel coming up against Atletico Madrid under Simeone. That will be quite the tactical encounter. It will. I mean, Atletico are looking really good this season. The top of La Liga. I don't think there's any question that they're the best side in Spain this year. I actually quite strongly fancy them for the Champions League. I think they're always really geared well to knock out ties. Never really, well, they've never quite won it, have they? They got to the final a couple of times. And yeah, an interesting tactical challenge. Simeone's changed things up this year. 
I think they're a more positive side than usual. They're also playing three at the back, really, for the first time this season. So, yeah, that's a big challenge, but I'd, I'd have Atletico as, as very strong favourites for that one. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Great to get your thoughts on Thomas Tuchel joining the Premier League, managing Chelsea, and we can't wait to see how that goes, I'm sure, if things go well or not. We'll have some thoughts on this uh, in due course. In the meantime, we'll be back again next week. Um, we like Thomas Tuchel, very flexible in our approach to uh, to topics on the Zonal Marking podcast. So very hard to second guess, but I do know that we'll have something good for you this time next week. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed. Make sure, of course, that you're signed up to The Athletic as well as an annual subscriber. If you go to theathletic.com forward slash Zonal Marking, you can sign up for just £3.99 a month. And don't forget the months of february and march are the month of quizzes on the athletic site in conjunction with prostate cancer uk so make sure that it's in the diary make sure that you are going for the big thousand pound prize if you are the number one quizzer that subscribes to the athletic and the athletic will match that with a donation to prostate cancer uk as well thanks very much for tuning in we'll talk again next week the athletic 